So tonight I wanted to talk about the operation of the early church and um, to just uh, outline some things to give us some avenues to not put God in a box. God can work all kinds of ways. And sometimes we have just one expectation or only one way we think that God can minister and, and, and operate on our behalf. But God works in many ways. Tonight, I'm just going to go over about five of them, how we see the operation of the gifts and of the manifestation of God in the early church. And of course, that's all tied to the receiving of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts chapter 2, verse 16, when, when the neighborhood started to hear all that noise and commotion and manifestation, they thought these men were drunk. But Peter, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, said in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, he says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, amen, that in the it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, amen. So he started to explain a little about what was happening, this new phenomena of, of a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which made them appear drunk. That means they were, they were acting strange. They weren't just sitting down quietly. They were, the Bible says that they were declaring the wonders of God. They were declaring the goodness of God in many different languages. And so the people that were gathered around understood them speaking in their own language the, the praises and the glory of God. So we see that in the early church, once the gift of the Holy Spirit had been given, there were many different manifestations. And sometimes, as I said, we put God in a box. He can only work one way. He only works if we do this. But God has many avenues of manifesting His power and His love and His grace and His mercy. Amen. And so we're going to look at some of the gifts and the operation of that in the early church, the gifts of miracles healings, uh, faith, and prophecy. Um, with that was deliverances. There were, there were people who were just delivered of, of demonic influence. There were answers to prayers. And that came about in the New Testament church through what I'm going to call channels. And I'm not going to go over all the ways God uh, works, but I'm going to give you at least five tonight. And each channel operates in a certain way. So we tend to just think God can only operate in a certain way. If we come in a certain time or if we fast three days and five nights and whatever, then, then God will work. Or if we, you know, if we just have the anointing oil, that's the only way God would work. No, you can't put God in a box. He is sovereign. Amen. And the best way for me that God works is when I don't even have to ask Him. He just does it. As I've said many times, what God would prefer is if we just stayed in the blessing. Because when we need a miracle, what we're actually asking God to do is break one of his laws. We want him to break a law just for us. What God would prefer is if we stayed in the miracle stream, in the blessing stream, we wouldn't actually need a miracle because everything would be going our way anyway. But nevertheless, he's so merciful because when we don't, he still gives us a miracle. And now Sunday, I preach. Anyone remember the message Sunday? God's way. And what did I say God's way is? What does he, how does he create? 
He declares. He says, let there be. Or he says, be healed. Or he said, according to your faith. He makes a declaration. And so one of the first ways that God works through us is when we declare something. And I call that, this is just my terminology for that, is sonship dominion. Because only if you're somebody can you make a statement and it be obeyed. God has promised us to, to be joint heirs with him. And so he is adopting us into the sonship. So I call that, I call that way of, of praying an operation uh, declar- declarative faith. When we declare something, Jesus did this many, many times in his ministry. He looked at the fig tree and he declared, From henceforth, no man shall eat of you. Now, you, as, you, as you were watching it, you could see nothing. But the roots had already started to dry up. He just declared that from henceforth, no man will eat anything of you. No more fruit from this tree. And, but it didn't manifest in the, spiritual, in, the, in the physical till the next day when they came by and they, they saw that it had dried up. They may even have forgotten that Jesus had declared that. And I call that sonship dominion. Where, when you're the son of the living God, when you're a child of the living God, you can give some orders. You, can, you don't have to be afraid of Satan. You can declare some things to him. As I said before in previous Bible studies, you have to tell him, do you know who I am? As I said, when some people get stopped by the police and they think they've got some clout and some pull, they say to the officer, do you know who I am? And I heard a joke where the officer replied, why, didn't your daddy tell you? (laughs) My daddy did tell me. He told me I'm a son of the living God. I'm a child of the King. And that's what we need to do to Satan when he pulls us over. Tell him, do you know who I am? You stopped the wrong person. Amen. And so we see that that one of the ways the early church operated was just through declaring some things. And I call that sonship dominion. They just declared something. The other way that you can get um, things done is just because we're in a covenant relationship with God. God has made promises, right? You may not declare something, but because you're in a covenant with him, he's going to fulfill it just because he made a covenant with you. Amen. And that is through prayer and supplications. When we come in here on a Thursday night or in your closet in your prayer time and you give, and you pray and you give God a supplication, that's that that is 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 in response God acts in response to his covenant that he promised. He made a promise that if we ask and according to his will, and if his word abides in us, then he would fulfill that if we're in alignment with God's will. And so that, is, that, that action is in response to what I call a covenantal relationship. And then there's sometimes, we didn't even ask him anything. He just does it. And that's what I like, when God just does it. He did it before you even asked him. And that's just his sovereign choice. You ever done something for your child before they even asked you? They didn't even have to ask you, but you saw the need and you just did it before they asked. So that, that's God's sovereign choice. I call that the direct gift. That's not even asking him. He sees and he shows up before you even have asked. And that is so awesome when he does that. I love when he does that. Amen. Before I've even asked, he's already provided. Hallelujah. And I call that the direct gift. And that's God just by his sovereign self. You didn't ask him. You didn't pray for it. He just did it for you because you're his child. Amen. And then another way God's work works is through 
the gifting of another. That means you didn't do the prayer, but someone else has been praying for you. Someone else has been in travail for you. Someone else has been calling God's name over you. Amen. And I know that I'm blessed to have a wife that prays for me. And I, I, and I do the same for my children. And maybe you pray for your sick children. And, and it, it doesn't require anything on their behalf. God does it because of your faith. So that I call that the indirect gift. And so these are some of the ways that God works or operated in the early church. I said I was going to give you five. And then this is the one where it's probably the hardest to swallow. And I call this um, spiritual sufficiency. This is when you pray... And God says, it's okay. My grace is enough. (laughs) Just trust me. This is the one we don't like. Right? I call this spiritual sufficiency where we've prayed and we've asked and nothing seems to happen. God just says, my grace is enough. You're going to still make it. Don't worry. You can get through this. But our circumstance doesn't immediately change. Amen? I'm just giving you five examples of how God works. Sometimes we think he can only work one way. But he's got many ways of working in our lives. And this, we see all of these five principal ways manifesting in the New Testament church. Some of these ways require faith on our part. Right? Uh, To declare something, you're going to have to believe it's going to happen. Some of them don't require any faith because... Maybe I don't have any faith. Someone else is praying for me. Amen. So it didn't require any faith on my part. But someone else was praying for me. And sometimes God just makes a sovereign choice. He could have not called Paul, but he did. He decided to interrupt Paul's life and, 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 and interrupt his journey to Damascus and make a, a blinding light and kick him off his horse or, or whatever the scripture there says and interrupt and just make a sovereign choice. But in those cases where God makes a sovereign choice, there is still a choice on our part to respond. God will never force himself into your life. You do have to respond. You have to to, to respond and say, yes, Lord. And Paul did that, and we see the results of that. So we're going to go over some of these and look at some New Testament examples of how God operated in the New Testament church. Amen. So... There is a faith requirement for what I call the sonship, dominion, declarative faith, where you just declare something. Amen? David did that. I quoted that Sunday. I shall live and not die. And I'm going to have what? What did he go on to say? Anyone? That's right. He was going to declare the goodness of of God. When they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that's what they were doing. They were declaring the the wonderful works of God because that's what it says in Acts. It says they heard them declaring the wonderful works of God. And that was a sign that they had received now sonship power. They had the, the right and the ability to do that. Now that does require some faith because that's coming. When you speak something into your situation, that means for it to happen, you've got to believe Jesus, many times before he did any kind of miracle, he would ask the recipient, in many cases, do you believe? Do you believe? It had some respect and and dependency on their faith. Sometimes it had nothing to do with their faith. God just did a sovereign work. Now, when he chooses to do which, that's not given to me. All I'm saying is we can't put God in a box and say he only works this way. 
So we see sometimes if our faith is, is big enough, we can declare some things. As I said Sunday when I got that thing, I declared this is not right. <laughs> this is wrong. Despite what they say, this is wrong. This is not right. And God honored the faith that I had in his voice and his word. So now in the covenantal relationship, um, it also requires faith, but it's proportional. By that I mean it depends on how much you can believe. He said he gave a, a criteria, and if you had faith as little as a mustard seed, that means it doesn't take a lot, but it does take a little. You have to believe in the covenant relationship that you have the right to ask. Sometimes when you don't know someone well, you're not sure whether you can ask them for a favor. But if you know them well, you have a great relationship, you don't hesitate because you, you're buddies. You're like this. When you have a covenant relationship with God, you can ask. Amen. You can go out on a limb. But that does also require faith. And sometimes we have to, to get our faith to that point. We do fast. Fasting is not to, to, to persuade God. It is to put our flesh in subjection. It is to, it is to humble this pride, this, uh, this nature that we have that we always want to do things a certain way. So that part of the, the, the operation is through God's covenant with, with us, through the Holy Spirit. Then, as I said, the direct gift requires little faith. God just shows up and does it because he loves you. He loves me. He will just come into our situation. And he's done that for me so many times. Totally unexpected where I don't deserve it. Wasn't something I did. He'll just make stuff look, make me look good. <laughs> and it always makes me amazed because I'm, Lord, well, that's awesome. Thank you. God is so good. And now the indirect gift, of course, requires no faith, right? You're praying for someone who is sick, who's unconscious. They can't have faith. So the faith there is not dependent on them. It's through you. It's indirect. And it requires no faith in the recipient, but it does require a desire. They have to want deliverance. They may not have the faith, but they have to want deliverance. Again, God will never force himself into a situation um, we have the example of the, the, the demoniac who had the 6,000 demons. And despite the demons, someone said they couldn't stop the man running to Jesus, right? He didn't know how to get cured. And the demons probably didn't want him anywhere near, near Jesus, but he still managed to get to, the, to Jesus. Now, he couldn't have cured himself, but he had the desire somewhere in his flesh. He still wanted to be healed even though the demons had control of him. So even though it's an indirect uh, gift, that person still has to want to do it. So you can pray for someone to be saved, but God will never force them. At some point, they will have to make a choice. What God will do is keep giving them opportunity, keep putting circumstances in their way that they may come to know him. But at some point, they will still to have to make a personal choice. We cannot pray someone into heaven. Not really. All we can do is pray God gives them mercy and grace. Keep giving them opportunity. Amen. And so that's the indirect gift. And then the spiritual sufficiency, I said, where God is saying, listen, just trust me. You can make this. You don't have, need any special stuff. You got me. Now that's hard. That is hard. God is saying, you don't need uh, this person or that person. You have me. And you'll get through it. And of course, we have the greatest example of that was, was Paul, right? He prayed three times. 
And in fact, even Jesus himself in the flesh manifested that, right? In the garden, the Bible says he prayed three times. Did that mean the cross disappeared? No. He, but it gave him strength. In, in doing this, in praying for a certain thing and we don't get it and we keep on praying, we are actually still getting strength to deal with the situation. Amen. So there are many examples in Scripture. In fact, there's probably more than 35, but of the 35 miracles recorded in the Gospel accounts, the faith of the person on which the miracle was being done is only exercised in 10 of those accounts where Jesus either said to them, do you believe? Many other times, it did not depend upon that person. It was just a sovereign gift of God. The healing of the lame man in John chapter 5, 1 to 9, was one of those cases where um, he asked the question of them. The cleansing of the leper in Matthew 8, 2, 4, the healing of the man's withered hand, right? It didn't require him to do anything. All that happened was that Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. He didn't ask him anything. He just said, stretch forth your hand. And the healing of the man born blind. Again, um, Jesus didn't ask him anything. His parents uh, were asked, you know, was, this, was, this, was he always this way? And he just said, be healed. Again, it was just another, another occurrence. The healing of blind Bartimaeus. Jesus didn't ask him anything. The woman who had the flow of blood, it was not Jesus' faith, it was her faith, right? She believed that if she touched him, that she would be healed. And then Peter who walked on the water to Jesus. Again, it was a matter of, of his faith and Jesus saying, come. Uh, the miraculous catching of the fish, where they had fished all night. And you can look at all of these miracles, the cleansing of the ten lepers, only one had faith to come back and thank him. The Bible said they all got their miracle, but that was just a sovereign gift of God. So under the sonship dominion where we declare some things, I'm going to look at an example in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 2, it said, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. I don't know if it's my imagination, but it seems to me that there's a, just a ton more people um, at traffic lights these days. Is it, is it my imagination? It seems to be like a ton more people. This guy was sitting by the gate of the temple. And apparently he'd been there many, 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 a long time. The Bible doesn't say because everybody knew him. And he was there to beg for money, for sustenance. That's how he lived. He couldn't work. There was no social security. There wasn't any other means of sustenance. And who, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, did his usual thing. He held out his bucket and asked for money, alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he looked on them. He gave heed unto them. He probably thought, man, they're going to give me some big bucks. Expecting to receive something of them. So he was not asking for healing. He had no faith in the fact that he was going to be healed. Right? This is a case where it was someone else declaring over him. Declaring over him. But he, once it was declared, he did respond because they took him by the hand 
And guess what he tried to do? He tried to get up. And so that's what I'm saying. Although he had not, that's not what he was asking for. Although he never even had faith at that point, he was expecting something. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to thee. And he's, he's here now doing a declaration. He's just saying, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, started to pull him. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So this is a case where it was a, a, what I call a sonship declaration. He just declared something into this man's life. That's what I preached about Sunday. Did anyone, go, anyone try declaring some things? Did anyone try declaring some victory? Amen. Amen. Declaring some things into your life? Amen. That's what we're, we are. We're to exercise that because if we are a son of God, if we are um, born of the water and born of the spirit, the Bible says when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will lead you into all truth. But it also says they that are led by the spirit, to them gave he what? Power. To what? Become. That means... I believe that when we are fully in faith, we, could, we should be able to do everything that Jesus did. He said, greater works than these would you also do. But the problem is sometimes we're not aligned with God's will or His Word, and our meditation and our heart has not been focused upon God. But if we were, I believe we would be able to say, declare some things into our lives. As I said, when I got that letter, I declared this null and void, this letter that says... No, told me no. I said, this is wrong. I spoke it out. I actually said it when I read the letter. I said, no, this is not right. This is wrong. And then I acted on my faith. And, and sorry to keep telling the story, but it's my testimony. Amen. So we have the right to be in sonship dominion. In the early church, you'll see a lot of miracles were done this way. They just declared some things. They just said, in the name of Jesus, Right? Now, other times, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a declaration. It was based upon what I said before was a covenant relation. Jesus himself, in giving his teaching on, on how to pray in Matthew 6, 9, he says, After this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he states a little bit of the covenant. He says, For if a covenant is a two-party thing, right? There's something for us to do, for it to be fulfilled. And so for certain prayers to be fulfilled, there's something for us to do. For if you forgive men their trespasses, then you can pray for forgiveness for yourself. If you pray for forgiveness for yourself and you haven't forgiven, you're not fulfilling the terms of the covenant. God does not have to act on that, does he? He does not have to act on that. But if you have truly forgiven those who have despitefully used you, those who have hurt you, those who have wronged you, then he says your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And it states it here very clearly. But for if he forgive not men their trespasses, that's the part of the covenant. That's what I mean by a covenant prayer. You can pray based upon the fact that you have done your part. Now that's not works. That's just being obedient to what the Word says, right? God can still act sovereignly if He wants to, but if you're going to pray based upon the covenant, then you need to have fulfilled your part of the covenant. That's what it's saying. So we can make our supplications to God 
if we're going to pray on a covenant basis, then we have to make sure that we have forgiven people. The Bible says if you have ought against your brother and you come down and you remember then, leave your gift and go and make amends. Go and, and, and ask forgiveness or make it right. Let's look at, a, look, look at this example again. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter. He arrested Peter, put him in prison. Then were the days of unleavened bread. What does that tell us? That's right. So this was probably a year later, right? It, was, it wasn't, it was at least the minimum time would have been a year from the resurrection of Christ. They were still in Jerusalem at this time, right? So he started to persecute the church because now it had exploded. There were thousands of priests even that were believing on this Jesus. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And now he arrested Peter, planning to do the same thing with him, to kill him. But now what did the church do? This time, the way God worked is the church prayed. Right? They didn't go and declare, you must release him. They, they, they prayed based upon the fact of a covenant relationship. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and deli- delivered him to four quartinians of soldiers. That's 16 soldiers. He was going to make sure that he wasn't going to get out to keep him, intending after Easter, there it explicitly tells us that it's Passover, to bring him forth to the people. But Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But what was happening? But prayer. This prayer was a prayer not declaring something. It was praying based upon our covenant relationship, based upon our relationship to God. So all of this is valid. You can declare some things, and you can pray directly to God and ask Him to do some things. But it depends on, on what basis you're, you're coming before him. When you go before a court, they have this thing called standing. And you can only file a case if you have standing. That means it's got to have, you've got to be able to show that you are materially involved in what you're trying to put before the court. Else they say, no, we're going to throw this out. So when we come before God, we should have a, 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 um, a scripture, a promise on which we're praying. Right? We should have a promise on which we're praying. You should pray on the word. That's the most effective prayer when you can say, Lord, you said in your word, you said in your word, amen, that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. You said in your word that you're going to provide. Now, if you're doing your part, that's his word. He also says, if my word abide in you, then you can That's a covenant relationship. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And Herod would have brought him forth. That same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains. Now that's amazing because it tells you the faith of Peter. He's about to be executed. And what is he doing? He's sleeping. He's asleep. Now, which of us would be sleeping knowing we're going to be, get our head chopped off in the morning? That shows you his faith. He wasn't worried. He's gone to sleep because he, he knows where he's going even if he is killed, right? So Peter was sleeping. In fact, the angel had a problem waking him up. 
That really is something. I really, that hits me. Bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept him in prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and said, raise up, get up. Now, Peter was asleep. He wasn't praying. (laughs) He was asleep. It was the church that was praying. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us his, his thoughts about whether he wanted to give to get out or not, but he was sleeping. The church was praying and God answered it, right? Peter didn't declare, get out of my way, soldiers. I'm walking out of here. It wasn't that kind of declarative sonship. He just trusted God and he's asleep. And so the angel told him, arise. Now, there is something, as I said, in a covenantal prayer that we have to respond. He got up. He obeyed. And as he got up, then what happened? Then the chains fell off him. He could have sit there and said, how can I get up? I'm, I'm between these two, so can't you see I can't get up? No, he tried. Once you've prayed for something, then start to act as if God is going to do it. Be bold. When, when I declared that, I called him up and said, no, this is this." Sent me this letter. They said, okay, that's a mistake. (laughs) Amen. Arise up. And his chains fell off from his hands. And so the church was praying. That, That was answered based upon what I would call a covenant relationship. It wasn't a declaration. And it, and, and it wasn't a necessarily a sovereign choice. It was a sovereign choice of God, but it was in response to the prayer. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel. He was thinking this was a dream. He was expecting to wake himself back up in the prison. You know, he wasn't really believing it. He was going through the motions, but maybe I'll wake up back in the prison. And I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he started walking in Jerusalem and he went to the house where he knew that everybody was there praying, to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So prayer is effective. Prayer does work. Amen. When it's prayed upon a covenant basis, when we're praying upon the promises of God and when we're in alignment with the will of God. So he knocks on the door and here comes the maiden. She looks and she sees his Peter and she can't believe it. She slams the door. She doesn't open the door. because This can't be right. You're supposed to be in prison, locked up. You can't be here. And she, she slams the door and he has to keep knocking. And finally she goes to tell him, there's Peter... There's someone out there looking like Peter, and they say, well, why don't you open the door? <laughs> Sometimes the proof that we're not 100% in faith is that actually when God does it, we're surprised, like, oh, this works. <laughs> it happened. God actually heard my prayer, and we're all surprised, right? That's terrible, really, because it shows that really our faith was still a little bit weak. But God is so merciful that just because he's, he sees our desire and that we obeyed and we went through the motions of praying, amen. So now let me show an example of what I call the sovereign choice where no, nothing was asked, God just did it. And it's in when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda. Or Beth, yes, that's it, Bethesda. Now, there was probably hundreds of, of sick people, lame people lying around the pool. We don't know why Jesus chose this man. He, didn't, he wasn't calling out, Jesus, thou son of David, come over here and heal me. He didn't even know who he was. He had no faith. 
All he was there was to jump into the pool first. And God sometimes make us, makes a sovereign choice. When you get to heaven, you can ask him why. I don't, I don't know all the reasons, but he, he can probably explain it. Sometimes God makes a sovereign choice. Maybe it's because he knows who will respond and who won't. So in Romans 9.15, it says, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That means you can't put God in a box and say, you have to do this or you have to do that. God has got a choice too. But he does respond and he will change his mind when he sees our repentance, our humility, and our sincerity. God has responded so many times to that. In scripture, right? Hezekiah was going to die and the moment he was told he was going to die, he started praying and saying, God, why are you letting this happen? Please. And before the prophet had left the building, God changed his mind. God can do that. In this case, God chose this. Maybe it's because he'd been there the longest. He, he, he told you he'd been there 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. 38 years lame. I don't know many, maybe some of you had seen that uh, movie Chosen, right? And they depicted that scene, how it was because of, um, in, in the, they made up a, 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 a mythical reason that he'd been, as a child, he'd been tipped over and broken his leg and, in those days, probably they could not fix those things that quickly and he'd become lame. But he'd been at that pool for 38 years. Probably he had seen hundreds of other people get healed. Who knows the reason why Jesus chose him? But God made a sovereign choice. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So God sometimes takes it upon himself to just choose people. In fact, he says... I chose you. You didn't choose me. And that's why we should be so grateful. Because you're not here by chance. You may think you are here by chance, but God has allowed a set of circumstances to allow you to be here tonight. So now there is at the Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Of course, five is the number of grace. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered. Jesus could have just said one word and every single person in there would have been healed. I can't explain to you why he, he just chose this one man. I'm sure God has a reason. And he doesn't have to explain everything to us. We just have to trust him. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Jesus was so merciful because this man had nobody to help him. Maybe the other people had people who came and, and helped them. This man had nobody to help him. He'd been there thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he came up to him and asked him the question, Will thou be made whole? Now that sounds like a strange thing to ask somebody who is waiting by a pool to be healed. Will thou be made whole? Do you want to be healed? 
It sounds like a strange question. I'm sure, and I'm not going to go into it tonight, all the reasons why Jesus asked him that. Let's go on. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. He didn't really answer Jesus. He didn't just say yes. He was giving excuses why he was in his situation. Maybe he thought Jesus was going to help him get into the pool. He's given him the reason why he's not healed. When, when we, people come to church, they'll tell you all the reasons why they can't be saved or why life has been that way. Instead of answering the question, Jesus can change your life. Is that what you want? Well, if I only do this or if I only get this job or if I only get this money. No, that's like trying to get into the pool. Right? That's like trying to get into the pool. It's like that, that mega lottery or whatever it was where the chances of it were like 300. In fact, they said you had more, ch- you had more chance of being bitten by a shark. <laughs> now, that would be strange. You're walking around Milwaukee and a shark bites you. <laughs> but that's, that's, that, that's how much chance you have of winning this. But Jesus, God in his sovereign choice, came to this man. Maybe it was because he'd been there a long time. Maybe because he had no one to put him down, maybe because Jesus saw that he had faith. Jesus saith unto him, Rise up, take up thy bed, and walk. Now, here is where the faith part comes in. God came to him and gave him a sovereign command. He had to respond. He could have, he could have looked at him and said, Are you crazy? If I could do that, I wouldn't be sitting here. But he didn't answer. He made an attempt. And that's what we have to do. When God speaks to us, we have to make the attempt. We have to act in faith. And then let's see what will happen, right? That's what, that's what Elisha did after he saw Elijah uh, go up into heaven. He came back with his mantle and he saw Elijah do this, hit the water and the water parted. So he said, let me try this. Let's see if, if the promise has come to me. Where is the God of Elijah? And he tried it. And what happened? The waters parted. That's, that's got to be our attitude when we pray. Then act as if God is going to answer our prayer. Amen. Jesus told him, rise up, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Now Jesus could have helped him up. Jesus could have pulled him up, but he didn't. There was something for him to do. He had to look at his situation and make an effort. Something happened in that man when Jesus said that. And he just suddenly believed, Right? But this was a sovereign choice because he could have gone to anybody. So God can act in so many different ways. He, we can act through uh, faith in a sonship declaration. We can act through prayer in a covenant relationship. Or God can just choose to do a miracle for us without us asking. And that's the best way. Amen. I love when God just does that. Before I even ask, he's done the thing. He's, 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 he's answered my prayer that I didn't even begin to ask. Immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews, of course, therefore said unto him that was cured, It is Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. See, they wanted to to start a a fuss. When God blesses you, there will be people who want to make a fuss. Who want to put some stank on it. (laughs) Who want to take away your joy. Right? God just done something great for you. Look out. The devil is going to want to come and pull the rug and take away your faith and depress you and take away that joy. You can't let him. 
So they tried to beat down that man and tell him all kinds of stuff. And he didn't even know who it was. He couldn't call out Jesus. Who was it? We, I don't know. I don't know. But he did find him later. Amen. So Jesus made a point of just asking him this one question. Will thou be made whole? Many times when Jesus asks us something, we miss it. We start giving him other reasons why we can't be successful with this thing or that thing. And that's not what he asked us. He asked him, will thou be made? Well, it's because um, I only had one mom. Well, it was only because I was born here. That's not what he asked us. He's asking us, do you want me to bless you? Do you want me to deliver you? Do you want me to use you? Do you want me to change your life? All we have to do is say yes. Yes. You know, just act on faith. Amen. What about the indirect gifts? This is when we're just going carefree and someone is praying for us. Maybe it's our mom. Maybe it's our grandmother been praying for us for years. And we don't even realize it. Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another the another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. The, pur- the purpose I'm reading out these gifts is a lot of them are indirect. That means that, that, it, that person... Uh, has that gift and can can pray for someone and have that miracle happen. That person may not even realize that someone is praying for them. I know that my wife's been praying for me sometimes. I just feel it, you know. And maybe your grandmother or your mother was praying for you sometime when you were in trouble. You didn't even know it. And God delivered you. God saved your life. Verse 11, But all these worketh that one and selfsame spirit, Dividing to every man severally as he will. You see, so God has different ways of working in the church. It doesn't have to be a one size fits all. He can, he can do it by us coming together and praying for someone. He can do it by someone declaring something over someone. He can do it by just himself. He don't need any of us if he wants to sovereignly do, do something. Amen. Ephesians 4, 8 tells us where, for he says, when he ascended, when he, when he died, he gave gifts. Not just one gift, but gifts. When he, wherefore he says, when he ascended on, up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. The Holy Spirit is one spirit, but in that there are multiple gifts. Imagine if all of us were manifesting all the gifting we had. Wouldn't that be something? Right? Someone would be um, able to interpret tongues, be able to speak Chinese, and someone would be interpreting it. And I'm not joking. The trouble is, once we feel that we've been filled with the initial spirit, we stop. We stop. The Bible says that we should continue seeking till we have all the manifestations. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't the church be powerful? But once we, we, we pray for someone, we say they're filled with the spirit, that's it, okay. You can take your ease now, sit down, and relax. But that's not what God wants. He wants you to, Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gifts. Stir up the gifts. I'm sure some of you have got some awesome gifts that you don't even realize that God has blessed you with. Amen. So there are gifts that have no condition. And the Bible says that the gifts of God are with what? 
Right, so God gives some people talents, and it has nothing to do with whether they're spiritual or not. Romans eleven twenty nine for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a gift if there was a condition, right? Let's look at this in Acts chapter 21, verse 10. We got some music going here? <laughs> and we, as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, and he bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him unto the hands of the Gentiles. Wouldn't it be great if God would give personal prophecy like that? We'd be able to make some great decisions, right? In this case, though, Paul was still determined to go to Jerusalem. He had made up his mind he was still going to go to Jerusalem. But God was just demonstrating his power that you can't surprise God. You can't surprise God. He, he knows already what's going to happen, right? We can disappoint him, but we can't surprise him. And so in this case, this gift from this prophet, he was able to tell Paul, when you go to Jerusalem, the Romans are going to arrest you and they're going to throw you into prison. And this is what's going to happen. And, and this did not depend upon Paul. This, this was the gifting of this prophet. He just came and he did this. But what we have to do, or what people do sometimes, is they magnify the gift rather than the giver. And this is what Jesus said to some people. Look at this. You can have a, a miraculous gift and yet be lost. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. That's why you've got to be careful running after signs and wonders. I don't know if it still happens, but it used to be in Milwaukee when some big-name television healer came to town. Everybody would run down there. And then years later we find out the life he's living doesn't amount to anything. Right? You can't run after miracles. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up to be deceived because Satan can do miracles. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know, there's many laws that God has set up that work whether you're a saved person or not. The law of gravity doesn't depend on whether you are a saved person or not. Right? There are certain laws, spiritual laws too, that work. If you eat healthy and uh, stay away from certain things, you probably will end up living a long life. That's not because you're holy. It's just because you're using the, the natural law of God. So the fact that you, you, you know how to do some things, there are people who pay tithe and never come to church. And God blesses them because they're operating under the, the law of sowing and reaping. That doesn't mean that they're saved. I know that may be a shock, but this is what the scripture says. I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I think that would be the most terrible thing to think you're okay with God and then the shock to find out, no, you're not okay. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Amen. The last 
operation. And I said, there's more than this. I'm just giving you some so that we don't put God in a box. Allow God to work in every way he wants in your life. But this last one is pretty tough. And we see that probably the greatest example of this is in Paul's life. And this scripture is very important to me because this was the scripture that really changed my direction in life um, in 2004. And Paul here is getting um, upset. Let's say it. He's upset. He's been praying for something three times and God hasn't answered him, hasn't done what he's been praying for. You ever had that experience? Well, it may be that God is saying, don't worry about this. It's not going to kill you. You'll make it through. And there was a reason... Paul states the reason in the end why God did not do what he wanted. And lest I should be exalted above measure. You know, you know what spoils children is when you give them every single thing they ever ask for. Sometimes you have to say no so that they learn something. Paul himself here says he believes the reason why was to keep him humble. God inoculated him to keep him humble. To keep him from being prideful. Every single thing I pray for just goes just like that. Every time I pray, people get healed. Everything I ask for just comes miraculously. And God said, we're still in this flesh. That's why I don't like people saying too much about me. Because it's so easy, so easy to start to actually think you're something. Maybe, maybe I am something. (laughs) Maybe I am that smart. Maybe I am so blessed. I'm, I'm special. It's so easy. Human flesh just loves that, that lay it on me. Just keep telling me how good and nice I am and how smart I am. Just keep it coming. Just keep it coming. We're so, we're so foolish and so stupid. We, we, we can manip- be manipulated so easy. I doubt there's one of us in here don't like to hear that, that stuff. Oh, you are, you are just something else. <laughs> Boy, God is really using you. <laughs> and lest I should be exalted above measure. And he explains, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this, but even so, he still, Lord, I, I hate this. Take it away. God, please, I can't stand this thing in my side here. And sometimes God is going to say, I'm sufficient. It's not going to kill you. Just going to have to live with it. Trust me, I'll give you the strength. You're going to make it. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace, my unmerited favor, my unmerited love, is sufficient for the for my strength is made and this is such a profound verse what it's really saying paul if i gave you every single thing why would you even pray why would you even need me you know if uh, tomorrow morning you got a letter in the mail saying you have just won 10 million dollars how many of you would be in church on sunday I bet the next day you're booking your world trip, buying your yacht, your mansion in Florida, right? How many of you would be in church 
Sunday. See, God knows what amount of blessing we can handle before it goes to our head. That's why he said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Because because there's all these things. The more stuff you have, the more stuff you, you want. And the more stuff you're worrying about. And it's mine. <laughs> Don't you touch. It's mine. So sometimes... God will allow stuff into our life that we don't like, we don't want to ground us, to keep us praying, to keep us humble. He said, my grace is sufficient, Paul. Just trust me. You, you'll make it. You won't die. This won't kill you. I know you don't like it, but there's a reason for it. It makes you pray, doesn't it? Oh, there's things I've been praying for for a long time. I said, Lord, please, I hate this thing about me, and he hasn't done it yet. And so I keep praying. (laughs) My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in our weakness. When we are weak, then he's strong. So Paul then turns it around and says, I'm going to praise, I'm going to worship, I'm going to glory in the fact that I'm imperfect, that I have weaknesses, so that the power of God can be manifest even more. The fact that I'm standing here is because of the power of God, because I can't do it in myself. I'd have given up, I'd have gotten mad with all these people. But the reason I'm here is because God's power is manifest in my life. And that is so awesome. If you could stand with me. I'm done. The next time you've prayed for something and it hasn't happened right away, maybe God is saying, my grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect even in our weakness, even in our suffering, right? That's why Paul has said, I've learned to be content. In whatever circumstance, I've learned. That wasn't something you're born with, right? No, you have to learn sometimes to be content, that you can have joy if you know God is still in your life. If you know God still loves you, that He still has a plan for your life. You know, not everything we pray for instantly, God is going to take it away, because there's some things are there in our lives for a purpose. For a purpose, because, you know, as I said, if we all got a million dollars, I don't know if I'd be preaching to many people next Sunday. Well, pastor, I had to, I had to, had to go to Florida. (laughs) Isn't that what Jesus said some people did when they were invited to the wedding? Well, I, I just bought some land. I had to go look at it. I just fixed up a house. I can't, next month I'll come back. I have been to some places where when I, was, when I went to Jamaica and I was sitting on the beach and I look out and, and it, the, the, the palm trees and everything, there's no way I want to come back in my flesh. <laughs> right? But Paul says I'm compelled. Right? I'm compelled to preach the gospel. Right? Because God has been so good to me that I cannot, I cannot just abandon that. So... I've just given you some things tonight on how we can operate as a church in the gifting, in, in, in covenant. And sometimes God will just show up and, and, and take our hands and just pull us out of the Bethesda pool. He can do that. Amen. But it all depends on humility and our desire. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we can handle. And if we are come to him in humility, the Bible says that we can come boldly to a throne of grace. Amen.
Amen. We're going to close this service. As I said, I'm so glad to see my brother Antion here tonight. Amen. I hope you guys will welcome him. Amen. I think it was probably eight years ago or nine years ago he was baptized, so I'm just so happy to see him here tonight. Amen. My grace is sufficient, for my strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen. Let's bow our hearts before God tonight. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Let this encourage us. Let us meditate upon it. Lord, let us find a place, Lord God, in your kingdom, Lord God, that we can multiply, that we can grow, that we can be used, Lord Jesus. Help us, oh God, to walk in sonship, Lord God, to walk in your covenant, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. For your mercy and your grace to cover us. Lord, we ask to surround us this week. Bless us. Give us strength, Lord God. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name.